15 years ago, uh, more than 15 years ago, I'm sorry, when I was, when I, when I was 15, <laughs> it's a good way to start that, huh? Yeah. When I was 15, I, uh, I wanted to get my first job. And uh, my parents didn't have a whole lot of money, and I knew that driving age was right around the corner, and I knew that in order for me to be able to afford a car, be able to go places and do things, I needed to have a job. That's, you know, that's how we were wired. I come from a real uh, a working family, and I wanted to get a job. And so I took applications, and I completed applications around town, and <clears throat> submitted them to a variety of different restaurants and shops and places. And no one wanted to interview a scrawny 15-year-old uh, because uh, I assume that the, there are plenty of workers, but also uh, because there's limitations on what 15-year-olds can work and what they can do until you turn 16. Uh, the exception to that was Chick-fil-A. I, uh, I applied at Chick-fil-A, and I landed an interview. And I was so excited about getting this interview. I was excited because I had prayed and I had legitimately asked the Lord, please, Lord, give me a chance to interview for a job. If you provide a job for me, I'll promise I'll work hard at it. I'll, I'll, I'll be a good steward of my, my, uh, the funds that you give me, all of these things. I'll even tithe if you, uh, if you give me a job. And, uh, and so... <clears throat> And so I landed an interview at, at Chick-fil-A. So I prepared that week for this interview. I was, uh, I was in prayer about it. I was thinking about what, you know, I was taking, thinking of questions that could be asked and, and what I would say to, those, to, to answer those questions. Uh, and I even laid out my clothes, I remember, for the interview. And I was going to wear my Sunday best. Now, I don't mean Sunday best like we wear Sunday best. I, I mean like the, the uh, Southern Baptist Sunday best. Uh, tie, you know, slacks shoes and, uh, and, and all of that. And so I got dressed that Saturday to go up to the interview. And of course, I was early. I was, I was there. My parents drove me up there and they took a walk around the mall. And, uh, and I was waiting on, uh, on uh, the interview. And so I sat there and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And after an hour and a half, the lady comes around the corner and she says, the owner's out playing golf right now. He'd like you to come back next Saturday. Oh, oh okay, okay, I, I, can, I can do that. So I find my parents around the mall and uh, tell them, you know, hey, how'd the interview go? I, well, uh, the owner's playing golf today. And so, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have the interview today. Oh, he needs me to come back next Saturday. Oh, okay. Okay, so go through another week of school and just uh, super excited about the interview, nervous, praying, getting everything ready, laid out the same outfit because he hadn't seen me in that yet, right? And so, I mean, I could wear that again. <laughs> Put it back on and uh, Saturday, uh, go in to, to the interview and I sat there in the food court waiting on him to come out, just getting everything ready. I know my armpits were sweating and I just uh, sat there and waited <laughs> and waited. And after about an hour, the gal came around the corner and said, oh, the owner's not in today. Can you come back next Saturday? Sure, sure, I'd, I'd be glad to do that. Most people wouldn't have come back the second time. So I waited, I waited that third week and, uh, and I went back in and, uh, you know, just an escalated sense of nervousness and, and uh, you know, anticipation for this interview. And so I get there and I get into the food court early, and I waited, waited, 
And after about 30 minutes, the owner comes around the corner with my application, and I sit up in my chair. He's here. And he comes and sits down, and he looks at me, and he says, you're Kevin. And I said, yes, sir. He said, why'd you come back? And I said, because I, I, really, I really want this job, sir. I, I do a good job. He said, I can tell you're hired. And he hired me. And so I was excited. I got my first job. I mean, people don't, you know, usually get jobs at 15. Or at that time, the economy was such where there, I mean, there were just workers everywhere. And he gave me a chance. And I was so grateful to the Lord. And all week, I just was blessing the Lord, thanking the Lord. So I go to work on that first Saturday, and they put me on the fry machine. I'm the one doing fries over at Chick-fil-A in the mall. Who likes waffle fries? Anybody hungry today? Okay. Well, I did not get you waffle fries today. So, um, <clears throat> But anyway, I, uh, so I was working the fry machine, and we had a busy lunch, and I'm learning, and, and uh, you know, we're in the busy, busyness, and just as it would be, and, and even in Chick-fil-A, you go in, you don't know the people that you're working with quite yet, and I'm the new kid, and I'm just this scrawny little 15-year-old who, who wants, is wearing a nice, shiny new uniform. Everyone else's is not shiny and new, you know, but mine's shiny and new, and I'm there, and I'm just trying, and of course, I'm slow at get, doing the fries, and they're like, come on, speed it up, new kid, you know, all this stuff, and, uh, and we get to a point about one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon and business was really slow. And Chick-fil-A, man, and the mall, man, they packed out the employees. I mean, it was like 15, 20 employees in that small little area. Uh, and I was sitting there and everybody was just kind of hanging out, just, just talking and, you know, just waiting, I guess, on customers and things like that, riding the clock. And I, um, I was sitting there and I just kept thinking, and I wasn't really talking to many people because I didn't know anybody. And I thought, you know, I really feel bad like just standing here because I'm being paid. So I went around the corner and I found a broom. And I grabbed the broom and I went to the other end of the store and, you know, everybody's just talking and stuff. And I just started sweeping around my, around my areas, my very first day of work. And I start to sweep down in the other area and I'm reaching, trying to get fries behind the fry machine. And the manager, her name was Sarah, she came out and she looked down across the way and she said, everybody stop what you're doing right now and look at Kevin. If you all would grab a broom and do something like he's doing, maybe you would find yourself in better positions in the future. I was such the popular new employee. I mean, everybody just loved me. And uh, four years later, I would find myself sweeping the floor of a Chick-fil-A in Murfreesboro as the youngest general manager the chain has ever hired. And I say that with all humility. In that moment of sweeping the floor by the fly machine, I didn't know that general manager was on the horizon. I didn't know my future. I didn't know anything. I just wanted to be faithful to serve where I was. I just wanted to do a good job. I wanted to do the right thing where I was planted at that moment. And when you do what is right and you're faithful in that moment, God will do supernatural, crazy, extraordinary things in your life. Today, we're gonna talk about and continuing our series because he is God. We're gonna talk about he is God and I am not. Would you guys stand? We're going to read one short verse from the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> Let's read together. 
Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that we live in a day and an age that we have such easy access to your word. God, I would ask today that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. I ask, Lord, that anything that's of me that doesn't make any sense would be forgotten, but the things, Lord, that you need for us to hear to change our lives for eternity would stick, Lord, and you would change us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. He is God, and I am not. You know, I really have never genuinely, and to this day, um, viewed myself as anything great or special or anything like that. In fact, I like to, if you, I don't know if you noticed this, I've been to lunch with some of you on occasion. I love doing lunch in groups because I am a dreadfully non-interesting person to talk to one-on-one at lunch, I feel. And uh, I like bringing people together. I feel like the Lord has given me some gifts in administration and gifts in building team, and I like, I like doing that. But, you know, outside of that realm, I just, I don't, I don't know that I'm very interested. I don't know what club I belong to. I don't, I just kind of, kind of stick out, and I try to adopt, like, different traits from different groups and people. Uh, I did root for the 49ers all the way to the end of the game, and I was angry at the end, so I felt like that was growth, okay? Uh, but, but, you know, I just don't kind of fit in and mesh in the puzzle anywhere. Uh, I, I've always felt kind of just like the oddball. And, um, and I have had laughable things happen in my life that have been extraordinary that I can only attribute to God's hand moving in my life. I've, I've had some things happen in my life that I just look and I look back and I say, how did that happen? Lord, you have been so faithful uh, uh, to, to my life. And I know that there are stories like that all throughout this house. You have stories of where God has met you. You have stories of testimony. You have stories where God has done amazing and miraculous things in your life. And you've also have stories where God is coming and cleaned you up. You also have stories where God is, has gotten you out of a tough time. You also have times probably where God has said, you need to sit down and stop. And I've got all those stories and everything uh, in between. But I've been amazed at the journey that the Lord has allowed me to live over this almost 40 years of my life. And uh, ironically, we're doing this series because uh, He is God. And, and Pastor Ronnie referenced that uh, throughout this series, we may be picking up some things from Eugene Peterson's book, Run With the Horses. Well, ironically, my, uh, my life verse uh, over the last decade has been Jeremiah 12.5, which is, if you have run with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you run with the horses? I've always wanted to be one who is able to run with horses. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, and I'm not at all here to advocate for a certain personality test or anything like that. At my job uh, at the school, we do, we've done, the leaders have done the Enneagram, and, and I am a three, and the three is kind of labeled as an achiever. That's kind of what is labeled, and, and this verse kind of goes along with that because there's motivation in this verse. There's challenge in this verse. There's, uh, there's encouragement in this, in this verse for somebody who's wired uh, like me to, to continue to press on, to continue to look above and beyond uh, what your own capabilities are and where, and where they lie. And, and I've always just wanted to be one that could, that could run and rise and run with the, ride with the horses. And when we look at the phrase, he is God and I am not, we are really examining the central question of who is in control? Who is in control? Now, I like to believe that I am somebody who does not need or have to be in control. Uh, I like to believe that, but then God thrusts me in environments where I absolutely have to feel like I'm in control. Uh, I don't know, you know, environments like the interstate. When, you know, I feel like I'm the only one who knows how to drive. 
right? Or, or maybe it's in that fast food restaurant where there's 10 people deep in the line and 45 employees on their cell phone. And I'm like, can somebody please help me and take my order? Anybody been there, done that before, you know? And so that really tugs on the area of patience, but patience is really tested in times when we are not in control, right? When we're not in control. We all struggle, I believe, with a various form of control, some on grander scales than others, but we all like, we're all wired in some way, in some form to be in control uh, of our lives. And sometimes it grows so unhealthy The control that we feel like we need to have, it grows so unhealthy that not only are we trying to control our life, but it bleeds into trying to control other people's lives. And so we begin to knock on the door of manipulation. We begin to knock on the door of of infusing things on other people to try to get them to do or say things that fit our agenda, fit our bill, fit the way that we feel like things should go. So the question I want to submit to us this morning as we ponder the phrase, he is God and I'm not, is who is in the driver's seat of your life? Who is driving the car of your life? And if you're anything like me, you know, I know scripture, Jesus says that we have to pick up our cross daily. Uh, And I think he's being quite generous with me because it's every five, 10 seconds, I've got to evaluate whether or not I'm picking up that cross or I'm making him carry it. You know, picking up my cross and following him. Who's in the driver's seat of your life? Who's in the driver's seat really in, in, in in your life? You belong to a kingdom. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. And you belong to one of those kingdoms. And if you belong to the kingdom of heaven, the king of heaven will never abdicate his throne to anyone. The king of heaven is always going to be the king. He's always going to sit on that throne. But between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world, there's you. And you, in your heart, you have a throne place. You have a seat. Who are you allowing to sit on that seat? It would have been something for the Lord to say, I am going to sit on your throne and I am going to make you bow down to me, but that's not what he did. He gave us the opportunity. He gave us the privilege and the ability to step aside and say, God, you can drive this car. You can drive this life and I'm gonna go along for the ride. When it comes to you and the Lord, only one person, only one person can be in the driver's seat. Your plans are no threat to God. The things you have uh, uh, lined up, the the things that you feel like you're in control of, the things that you want to do, none of those are threats to God. Not one of them. God will take the back seat to our antics every single time. He will allow us to get in the driver's seat. And when we ram that car into the ditch, he is faithful at that moment to get out of the car, to help dress our wounds, to help pull us out of the misery that we're in, to do the estimated damage on the vehicle, to help us get that all together. And when you are revved up and you're ready to go again, he says, would you like me to take control now? And so often we say, nope, got it. Thanks for getting me out of this ditch. And he gets in the back seat and he says, all right, let's go. And then we drive it until we get into the next ditch. How many scars must we have before we fully allow God to rule and reign in our lives? We are allowed to have access to the kingdom of heaven here and now. Right now, today, we have access to the king of the king of heaven. 
And he can lead our lives if we allow him to lead our lives. But some of us don't mind bumping and bruising and losing limbs along the way. What could he do in you and through you and with your life if you would just abdicate control? Allow him to have the seat of your life. I used to lead a ministry. I talked about Chick-fil-A. There's a ministry I started uh, called Power, People of Righteousness, or sorry, People of Worship, Embracing Righteousness. And I was at Chick-fil-A when I was uh, in Murfreesboro. There was a group of young adults that worked for uh, me at the store. We had about 80 uh, people that worked at that time. And um, there was a large population and the young adults, they were just looking for somewhere to plug in. They didn't have, they were saying, you know, my church, it was, a, they had representation all over the community, different churches, but they're like, there's nothing really for me to plug into. And they were hungry. And so some of them were starting to say things like, I'm just going to leave my church. I'm just going to leave my church and go somewhere else. I'm going to leave my church and I'm going to go. I, you know, I tried that one time. I knew, I knew I was called to, to ministry at some point in my life, and I went to a prophetic music and arts conference in Atlanta, and I met a pastor down there, and, uh, and he came up to me and said, you know, we need a youth pastor. I said, oh, here I am. And I came in. I remember walking right into, to, I was at Ronnie's house. I said, Ronnie, I'm going to be a youth pastor in Atlanta, or in South Carolina, in South Carolina. And he laughed out loud. Yeah, people who love you will laugh at you when you need to be laughed at. And, uh, and, he said, uh, and he said, no, you're not. My pastor loved me enough to say the hard thing, but it was still my choice whether or not to obey. And so I, um, I started this, this ministry power, and, uh, and, I, and I had had that experience, and I knew how important it was to stay planted, and I didn't want these people to leave their churches. So I said, listen, Sundays were closed. Let's open Chick-fil-A and come, and we'll do a worship service here. We'll, 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 we'll get in the Word. We'll do worship service. Stay in your church, all of those things. And so 20, 30, 40, almost 80 people grew uh, over a year's time in this ministry. We had full-on worship, had a great, uh, great time, good relationships, all of these things. And things just really started rolling along. And I started to go, hey, you know, I've, I've done a good job here. Yeah, I've, this, is, this is good. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from a pastor from World Outreach. And he says, yeah, I'd like to speak to Kevin O'Day. I, I, some of my people are going to some church thing you've got going on at Chick-fil-A. And I kind of like to know what's going on with that. Like, what's that about? a good pastor protecting his people. I didn't have an answer. I, well, I'm at Chick-fil-A. I run Chick-fil-A. Yeah, we're here worshiping because you don't have anything at your church. I don't know what I'll say. Let's meet with your pastor. Uh, and so I went and met with, with, uh, with Ronnie and they, and they talked. And what we decided uh, is, you know, I'd go to the elders and see if the elders would be willing um, to cover this, this ministry that I had started. And I talked with them, prayed, and they said, hey, you know, we, we believe in you, Kevin. We believe the call in your life ministry. We, we could see the Lord doing something. So we'll cover this and let you have access to the building. And I said, all right, full gear. As soon as I left that meeting, the Lord said, Kevin, I want you to lay that ministry down. And I said, no. No, are you kidding me? This is my baby. This is something I started, <laughs> okay? Guilty, okay? And so I went in and I was puffed up and I just was like, man, this is great. We got, I mean, we are rocking it out. We've got people from every church 80, 70, 60, 50, relationships and strife and turmoil, guitar player leaves, all of these things happening down to 15 people. Here's the thing. I could have left when God told me to and things probably would have flourished, 
But instead, he had to create a situation where I was forced to leave. Right? I don't want to be in a place where he forces me on my knees. I want to be in a place where I say, God, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I want, I want your will. I want what you want for my life. I don't want to get ahead of you. I want to be right in tandem and walking with you. See, we see God. This is power. I'm sorry. I got to finish the story. So, I, so later on, uh, later on after, after that, uh, I, was, I was the assistant children's pastor here at the church. It was about a year later, and I'm walking out here. It's a midweek service, and out at the glass doors were, uh, were a few of our young adults, and they were gathering, and they were, I was like, hey, what's going on? What are y'all doing? And they said, we're going to uh, Starbucks to do a Bible study because y'all don't really have a class here for us. I was like, oh, that's so sad. Have fun. <laughs> and so I walked away down the hallway, and God put on my heart. He said, I want you to start a young adult ministry here at Springhouse, or Smyrna Assembly at the time. I said, no way. I was too hurt and bitter. I didn't know it, but I was hurt and bitter from the last thing he told me to do. The next week, just so happened, I had no reason to be passing in this area for what I was doing on Wednesday night. Passing in this area, there's Kristen and all the group there, and they're going to Starbucks. And God said, Kevin, I want you to start a young adult ministry here at Spring Hill. No. Next week, same thing happens. And I said, okay, God, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> I will start something and for three months, and I want you to raise somebody up to lead this because I'm not leading that. Six months later, Ronnie asked me to be the, uh, the uh, young adult pastor here at Springhouse. And in that ministry, Strive, and then it became Degree 180, some of the most meaningful, life-lasting, eternal relationships were birthed out of that ministry. Some of the people that have spoken into my life people that have, have, have done family together, people that have found their roots here at the church because of the ministry there. Some of them found their spouses because of that ministry. Some of them went out to the mission field because of all those things. When God is in charge of something and he's in the driver's seat, eternal, supernatural, wonderful things can happen. See, we see God in all of these lights. We see him as healer and promise keeper. We see him as a counselor, a friend, our rescuer, a way maker. We see him as love and strong and father and encourager. We see him as a peacemaker. We see him as in, in the light of all of these things, which these are the things that he, he is. He's all of these things, but he is also sovereign. He is also Lord. And we have taken his lordship over our lives and we have twisted it into a partnership feeling as if we have equal say in what needs to happen in our lives. <laughs> we have taken his lordship and we have twisted it into what seems to be a partnership feeling as if we have equal say in what is supposed to happen in our lives. His sovereignty gives weight, gives meaning, gives substance to all of those other things. Valentine's Day is coming up. It's on Friday. Valentine's Day is coming up. It's on Friday. <laughs> Gentlemen, <laughs> Valentine's Day is on Friday. And on Friday, most likely, you are going to, at some point, encounter, whether it's at the store or at home, there's going to be chocolates, there's going to be balloons, we're going to massacre a bunch of roses, we're going to do all types of things on Valentine's Day to express how we love and how we feel about one another, all this exchange. And it is a day that is hypersensitive to love and all the feels and all those great things. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a great day. It's a great day to celebrate. But what if your marriage was reduced to celebrating your love to, on that one day when everybody was doing it and it was expected? What happens on March 20th, 
on July 16th, on November 1st. I may have done that. I don't know how to get it back. (laughs) Thank you. Love you guys in that booth up there, okay? All right. What about, what, about all of, what about all of those other days? The potency, the foundation of that, that Valentine's Day, that little expectation, that fun little uh, moment in time, actually has to do with all the other times, right? All the other times that bring meaning into the isolated re- relationship. It is so much more meaningful when somebody does something for you who loves you outside of a time when there's an expectation tied to it. I walked in this morning about six o'clock. My wife was here late last night. I, my, the, my love language is acts of service. I walk in, I've had two chairs, two little small chairs in my office. They've been turned upside down and the legs needed to be screwed on there. I walked in this morning, 6 a.m., the chairs are there with the legs screwed on. And I'm telling you, my heart went, oh, this is great. And I text her, I said, did you put those chairs together? She says, I love you, baby. I'm telling you what. <laughs> I about jumped back in that car and went home, let me tell you, okay? (laughs) Boy, I felt good this morning, okay? I'm telling you, but those unexpected moments, they bring about the foundation. And the same same is is true with God. His sovereignty gives the power to all of those other things. When he's a way maker, when he's rescuing, the the truth that he was bruised and beaten and died for our sin, and he didn't just say, well, now y'all figure it out. He came back and he said, no, come, come with me. Let, me. let me still dress your wound. Come here, let me still help you on your way. The truth, the truth that he could squash you like a little bug if he wanted to, but yet he sees value in our lives that he lets us keep living even though we slap him in the face almost every day. His sovereignty brings a foundation to all of these other things. His bigness brings the substance to all of that. His sovereignty should advance us from a place of ungrateful selfishness to unwavering obedience. There's a story that we learn in Genesis of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham has been told that he's going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And so Abraham and Sarah, they're excited about this, but they decide within themselves that God needs a little bit of help, right? Ever ever felt like God needed a little bit of help to push things along? And so Abraham and Sarah come up with this great idea. Listen, go sleep with Hagar, okay? She's part, we'll call her part of the family, you know? Go do that. We'll have a son. Everything's good. God, this is, this is fantastic. And so they do that. They indeed have a son. And God comes and visits Abraham and says to him, you're gonna have a son, but it's not going to be the way you think it's going to be. It's gonna be the way I say it is. And it's gonna be through your wife, Sarah. And as he says this, Sarah's in the background listening and she laughs. And she laughs, and this is what the Lord says. He says, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Can you imagine the air being sucked out of the room at that moment, you know, or whatnot, when you're like, you know, in the middle of that lie, and he's like, oh, no, I know you tell the truth. And she knew she, he was God, so he did know the truth in the moment, right? And so, I mean, I can just imagine it was like, you know. But God's plan was to have a son through Sarah, and that's what happened. And because they decided to twist his sovereignty into a partnership, there was hurt in the marriage. There was strife in the work relationship. There was jealousy between the moms. There was separation of family. Anytime, anytime you try to get on the bandwagon and help God, you're going to have hurt, strife, jealousy, and separation. 
That's what the partnership got them. Abraham got in the driver's seat. Listen, God doesn't need your help. He wants your obedience. He wants your obedience. And this would be so easy if it wasn't for people. God will use people to stop you from doing stupid things. And in this time of my life, I needed some more people to love me, people, okay? But this is, part, this is probably one of the hardest parts of fully submitting to the understanding that he is God and I'm not, is that most of the time he will use people to give you direction and to lead you. He's going to use flawed, twisted, sinful people. And how we choose to respond to people says a whole lot about how much we trust God in his word, especially when it comes to people being in authority. This is what Romans 13 says, let everyone be subjected to the governing authorities for there is no authority except for what God has established. The authorities have been established, have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Guys, we love authority We love authority in our lives that allow us to do what we want to do. We love when authority in our lives. Listen, authority who actually really loves you is authority that will actually tell you you need to change some things in your life. Authority who actually loves you isn't afraid, is more concerned about your well-being than whether or not you're mad at them or you like them. Authority who actually loves you is more concerned about what God has for you than, the fact, than, than, than whether or not you, you want to be their friend. And we need those people in our life. This is where the largest test in our life is administered with regard to he is God and I am not. Because we are culturally inclined to have little respect and little regard to authority. When you know he is God and I am not, there is such freedom in obeying your authority because you know that God put them there. That boss who overlooked the good job you think you're doing. That pastor that advises you to change something you don't want to change. That leader that doesn't agree with what you are saying. I found this sign at the store. And is this not just the anthem of our generation right now? Create the things you wish wish existed. Create the things you wish existed. What would happen if we turn this anthem into a prayer? Lord, create the things you wish existed. And if it's your will, use me in a small way, and I will be so grateful. That changes everything. We are so culturally inclined to make it happen. Make it happen. Get her done, right? And so whenever we have this, This puts us in the driver's seat because culturally we're told, create it. You don't like what's happening here, leave and go create it yourself. You don't like what the authority said in that situation, just get up and go and leave. Stay put and trust God. We are conditioned to get up and leave when things don't go our way. What would happen the next time you're in a situation and you've got this idea and you really feel like it's from the Lord? 
and you go and you talk to some leader that God has placed in your life, if, if you trust what the word of God says, then God has placed that authority in your life and you believe God said it and they say, no, not right now. What would happen if we just stayed put and we served? Even if they're wrong, what would happen if you stayed put and you served? I didn't get the promotion I deserved. Stay put. God, I know you told me to be here, so I'm going to stay put and serve. My ministry was taken away from me. Stay put. I'm going to serve. Listen, people will always let you down, but God will never let you down. He will never, ever let you down. This is my wife, Sherry. And if there's ever a person in your life that will let you know whether you're in control or God's in control, it will be your spouse. Okay? My wife is beautiful. She's lovely. She's amazing. And Ronnie had mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that I needed to tell my story on how we met. And real quick, um, we were, uh, I, I'd just gotten out of a bad relationship. Anytime a relationship you are in pulls you away from the good things God is doing in your life, it is an unhealthy relationship. I was in a bad relationship. I was deaf to hear the people who left me talking to me and telling me that I needed to lay that down. Finally, when I hit rock bottom, I hit my face on the ground. I came out, I remember walking this foyer and I said, God, and I meant it with all my heart. I, I was, somebody in the church had said, Kevin, you're the most eligible bachelor. And I said, God, I don't wanna be a bachelor. I wanna be married. All my friends are getting married. I wanna be married. And in that moment, I said, God, listen, I'm so sorry for the last year. And I'm so sorry, Lord. I, I totally give up any desire to want to be married. I just want to serve you. I will serve you faithfully. And I meant it with all my heart. And I didn't know it, but that same week, that same week, there was a girl who had submitted an application to be a part of our theater council here at Springhouse. She actually submitted it back when they were supposed to come in, but she sent it to the wrong address because God had some other timing and plans. And so it came in late and Ronnie said, hey, I'm just going to bring this up to the, the theater council and see if maybe, maybe we want to do additional intern. Reads the application and there I am in the same week that I had told the Lord I don't want to get married, I was voting whether or not my wife would come and be a part of this church. God is supernatural. He is huge. He is, he, he's wonderful. Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to, you can trust the Lord. Faith is not just about believing in God, but it's also believing that he will do what he says he will do. Hebrew 11 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Who are you seeking? Who's out in front of you? Is it that situation? Is it that person? Is it that promotion? Is it that job? Or is it him? Because if you pursue him, he will just naturally make things flow in ways that you could never, ever explain. Jesus did not come so that you could be your own God. He came to rescue you from trying to be God. I opened this morning with talking about my desire to be somebody who could run with horses. And I find it ironic that when we, that we run out of steam so quickly when we try to keep up with man. But boy, when we get our stride with the horses, it's the most peaceful, restful, energetic, energizing place that we could be. Only in the kingdom and in the place where he is God and you are not will you be able to run with horses and rest at the same time. 
Are you tired of trying to make things happen? Are you weary from believing that God has something so great for you and trying to accomplish it on your own? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. He's gonna give you rest. His yoke is supposed to be easy and light. Stop trying to make it happen. Abdicate control. Allow him to have the driver's seat of your life and watch him do things in your life that you can't even explain. Worship team, would you begin to come out here? I am humbled for the opportunity and the privilege to be the next lead pastor here at Springhouse. And I remember the first elders meeting that we had to discuss the transition and they heard from, I got an opportunity to speak to them. And the first thing that came out of my mouth at that meeting was this. If you all don't see me in this position, I don't want it. And I meant that. I will be the greatest cheerleader. I'll be the greatest supporter of whoever God has for that position. And while I, you all have just been, you just blown me away with encouragement. You have blown me away with love. And I appreciate the sentiment of congratulations, but it's such an awkward thing for me to respond to because this isn't a position that I feel like I've earned. It's not a position that I feel like I've worked for. I don't pretend that I know the plan, that I know everything. There are two things that I know. I know that I'm called, and I know that he is God, and I am not. And whether you're called to be a lead pastor, whether you're called to be a teacher, whether you're called to be on the assembly line and the factory, whether you're called to be an at-home mom, whether you're called to be a baker or anything in between, if you've got those two ingredients in your foundation, you'll most assuredly run with horses.